Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. We're excited to announce that our very own podcasting platform, Zencaster, has become a new sponsor to the show. Check out the podcast discount link in our show notes and stay tuned for why we love using Zen for the podcast. That doesn't make any sense. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. You're listening to the Archaeology Show. TAS goes behind the headlines to bring you the real stories about archaeology and the history around us. Welcome to the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Archaeology Show, episode 129. On today's show, we talk about new humans, a buried time capsule, and a shaman's snake stick. Let's dig a little deeper. Welcome to the show, everybody. We have some news articles for you. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, it's the 4th of July, otherwise known as, well, I think probably half the population in this country doesn't know what it stands for. It's just the 4th of July, a date that we celebrate. <laughs> I mean, maybe a little better than half. <laughs> it's like, do all Mexicans know what Cinco de Mayo is, or are they just saying the 5th of May? Um, excuse me, do you know what Cinco de Mayo is? I, of course, know what Cinco de Mayo is. <laughs> Something about their independence. It's but anyway, not at all that. I don't so know that. let's yeah. not go down that road. Point is, it's Independence Day <laughs> and you're listening to Archaeology Show. So there you go. Okay, so we've got three news articles for you. And the first one has been really making the rounds. I actually kind of avoided it at first and, and writing it down for us because it was everywhere. Yeah. But then it was everywhere and I figured we should talk about it. Yeah, so, for sure. But we took this particular one from Nature, just a write-up. It's not the actual article, although, awesome enough, the article is linked in the top of this, so you can go to the original Nature article from here. But this article is titled, Mysterious Skull Fossils Expand Human Family Tree, But Questions Remain. Anytime you expand the human family tree, questions remain. You're just making more questions. Yeah. You're putting in-betweens in you know, and then they make spaces. And then as you fill in more places in between in the tree, it's just more questions. So I know when I was in my undergrad, I was really into paleoanthropology, which is the study of like basically pre-human ancestry mm -hmm. or I guess prehistoric, pre-prehistoric ancestry, right. fossilized human ancestry. Like pre-human basically. But not just, I, I, I backtracked on that because humans go back like 200,000 years and they're included in a lot of cases. Yeah. Yeah. So, but a lot of times when you think paleoanthropology, you think millions of years old. But yeah, like Lucy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or Homo erectus, Homo mm -hmm. habilis, all that stuff with the leaky family. And I just got to say, this title here, it's not outside the norm for this, this field because I read a lot of books on paleoanthropology and every book, when you're reading them, if you read one that was written in like the 60s when they found whatever, or the 30s when they found mm -hmm. whatever, each one says, well, we need to totally rewrite the family tree of, <laughs> you know, human ancestors. Right. Like, oh, you don't say. Yeah. Like so, every time they find something, yeah. it basically rewrites everything. <laughs> I'm like, stop writing it in pen because <laughs> you need an eraser. It's so. definitely evolving. Right. Our, our family tree is. So. so along those lines... We're going to talk about two fossils, and we've had a lot of articles where it's 
basically a re reanalysis of something that was found a long time ago and yeah. people are just looking at it with fresh eyes now. And that's the same case here, but in two very different cases, they both came out at the same time, which I don't know if that was coordinated or what, but there were fossils found in China a long time ago, which we'll talk about, and fossils found in Israel, both dating to around 140,000 to 200,000 years ago. And... Essentially, they're different enough from Homo sapiens that both of these sets of researchers think they should be new species. So we're going to talk about both of those a little bit separately, and then we'll bring it all back together. Anyway, what this all kind of stems from is this massive, what we're coming to understand is like a mixing of different species of beings related to Homo sapiens right. in some way, shape or form, or Neanderthals for that matter. And we're finding that all over Europe, Middle East, China, Northern Asia, you know, like the, the Russia, Kazakhstan area, mm -hmm. um, even down into Africa, that there were a lot more species variability than we previously assumed. And one of the big ones that was found not too long ago, I mean, I think less than 10 years ago, was the Denisovans. Right. And they, they was actually DNA there, too, which was kind of cool. Yeah. But... They kind of blew the whole thing up, and then we've been finding all kinds of stuff ever since then. Yeah, it seems like the Neanderthals are kind of like the largest group of these, mm -hmm. not human, but around at the same time as human, you know, people. But there's a lot more of them than we realized, and it makes us have to shift the way we look at the evolution of humans to what what mm -hmm. is now modern humans. So, right. yeah, it's interesting. So. To talk about, we're going to kind of jump back and forth because that's what the article does here, but the Israeli fossils says they hint at a new species that are direct ancestors, possibly, of Neanderthals, and we're like, kind of like, what are you talking about there? And might yeah. have dominated life in the Levant and lived alongside Homo sapiens, because again, Homo sapiens, up to 200,000 years, kind of all over the place. Neanderthals weren't thought to come to this area until about 70,000 years ago, so seeing something that could have been related to Neanderthals 140,000 years ago. Not unlikely. Mm -hmm. I mean, sure, if they're related. But Neanderthals have always kind of been a European thing. And it's like, did they move from here to there? Did they mate with Neanderthals? Did they, you know, what was going on? That's not a huge jump, really, to, to Israel. Yeah. So, like... I could see that happening. These people weren't exactly explorers, though. Yeah. And again, you have to remember, too, with fossils from 140,000 years ago, you're not finding a whole lot of them. So just because we haven't found them in a certain area doesn't mean they weren't there. It just means that we haven't found evidence of it yet. Right. So this could just be the first evidence of Neanderthals or a precursor to Neanderthals in Israel. Yeah. Could be. And possibly China, which we'll get to. Yeah, yeah. A little bit about human evolution. Since about the year 2000, the view of human evolution over the past half a million years has become, as they say, complicated. Mm -hmm. New genus of genuses, geni, genuses, genuses, I don't know, whatever, <laughs> don't know. <laughs> of Homo have been added. Um, in, in Indonesia, you may have heard of H. floresiensis, hobbits, mm -hmm. <laughs> although I learned a long time ago and I love saying it, floresiensis. Well, I was in college when that one came out, yeah. so like it's it will always be in my brain because right. <laughs> we learned about it as breaking science. <laughs> I know, and they called them <laughs> hobbits because yes, yeah. they were found on an island in a cave, I want to say, and they were... Definitely human-like, but shorter, way shorter. And yeah. it wasn't a bunch of children either. Right. And yeah. it also Lord of the Rings was like at its height at that it's time. True. I believe, I believe, or like it was just coming out or something. So right. yes. 
And then the Denisovans were found in Siberia. Mm -hmm. And again, there was a little bit of DNA associated with those uh, remains, which was kind of cool. I think they got them out of teeth because those preserve DNA well. I think so. Yeah, yeah. And then in South Africa, uh, Homo naledi was found uh, a little while later. And then the Filipino, which I hadn't even heard of, um, H. Luzonensis. Uh, yeah, that one was new, like yeah. like two years ago new, right? Right, I think yeah. so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't really keep up on that too much. So. Yeah. And all of these overlap with modern humans. Yeah. So you've got people running around all over the place going, who's that guy? He looks weird. Mm-hmm. So Neanderthals were either outcompeted by or subsumed into modern humans by about 40,000 years ago. So Neanderthals were really prominent for, you know, 30, 40,000 years. Right. Uh, and a little more going back into Europe. And then eventually just kind of died out around 40,000 years ago. Again, didn't really die out because we definitely have Neanderthal DNA in some modern human populations. Yep. But they were gone as a separate species. That's for yeah, sure. Yeah, they, they intermingled with the population of humans mm-hmm. enough, modern humans, to leave traces of DNA. But Right. Yeah. And some of these fossils that have been found in, in previous years that are just sitting in museum or collections didn't fit neatly into the human family tree. And sometimes that's because it's just really small fragments and you can't really tell. Yeah. And you're like, am I looking at something different here or am I looking at a brand new species? Right. And it's hard to say with without more information, I guess, and yeah. without artifacts and things like that. So that being said, people did come along and, and restudy these things. And again, the Israeli one was dated 140,000 to 200,000 years ago. And the only thing it consists of is some parietal bone parts, which were like the top sides of your skull and uh, a jaw, a fragment of a jaw. Mm. It's actually quite a bit of the jaw. If you look at the pictures in the article, likely belonging to the same individual. That's I wonder if that's because, well, they can't really refit it, but I wonder if they can tell that from like ages of the bones Mm -hmm. as as they look at it, but also just found an association. Yeah. 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 And then uh, the jaw and teeth were Neanderthal-like. And Neanderthals, again, aren't supposed to be in this area for another 70,000 years. Mm -hmm. And the skull shape was more archaic. And when they say archaic, they mean archaic Homo sapien. Mm -hmm. So that was strange. Uh, You don't usually find that kind of stuff in association with with each other. But that is interesting, though, because they have two pieces that they think are associated, but those two pieces have features of two different types. It would make me as the researcher, like re-examine why I thought they were from the same individual. Makes me think of Piltdown, man. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Like not that anybody would do that on purpose. I mean, they did. Well, okay. (laughs) Yes. Many people would do that on purpose, (laughs) but in this case, Yeah, I don't really know that much about Mm -hmm. what's going on here, but it does make me question whether or not they're the same individual. But go on. So these fossils, along with other unclassified fossils, going back almost 400,000 years, these researchers in Israel are saying that they all belong to a new species called the Nesher Ramla people. And the Nesher Ramla people mastered stone tools, just like Homo sapiens. They were found with, they were found in the article, it said they were found where, where they were found, they had flint-napped tools mm-hmm. that were sourced over 10 miles away, which that's a common trait of humans now uh, that still do flint-napping and they did it a couple hundred years ago, is you would find source material, you would prep it just a little bit, knock off the stuff you know you're not going to need, throw it in your bag, and then you would create whatever tool you need on the fly mm-hmm. because they could they could whack out a tool from a, from a preform in minutes. Mm-hmm. So, and then, you know, haft it to a spear tip or something like that, and they were pretty adept at this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. 
So, of course, the biggest problem I have with this is any time you start lumping, yeah, you run into problems. Yeah, and lumping means taking four hundred thousand years and lumping everybody into the same thing and saying this was all the Nesharama people. How was there so yeah. much evolution in a few hundred thousand years, but for this amount of time, yeah, no evolution. I I know the exact same red flags jump out at me and forgive this bad metaphor, but it would be like having 10 blue puzzle pieces that Mm -hmm. all look like they go together. But once you get all 10 of those puzzles and put them together, you find out that each one is from a different puzzle. Yeah. You know, like they might look the same, but they're not necessarily from the same. And you don't know until you get a bigger picture and find more pieces to the puzzle. I'm going to find like an evolutionary scientist and I'm going to take 12 very similar puzzles and just mix them. <laughs> and like tell them to separate it. Yeah. And they're not going to get any of the box tops. And that's I'm going to say, put this together. Oh, that's just mean. Yeah. Although that is their job too, in some ways. That's, so I know this is a good analogy though. You're not sure they even come from the same, from yeah, the same picture. That's, that's the problem I yeah. have with that. And also because like they're looking at artifacts that are, that have already been discovered. Right. So they're just, they're going back to, skulls mostly yeah. i would assume that have not been identified and trying to lump them all together and that yeah. just seems suspect exactly all right so let's talk about the chinese skull real quick here so dragon man is what they're calling it and that is actually named from the place where it was found i guess there's the dragon river and it's a province there so it's all just and called it's like dragon man the most awesome name ever yes i'll try to be less skeptical of this one i know right it's homo, a sweet name homo lungi and i don't know if i'm pronouncing that right because it's probably chinese well uh-huh. it's latin translated from chinese i guess it's latin for dragon yeah i think yeah, it is so yeah. anyway this one was actually dug up in 1933 it's called the harbin skull and was well-preserved cranium dating to about 140,000 years ago and this i thought was interesting thought to belong to a 50 year old male mm-hmm. we always talk about i mean that's not like super old or anything but it's a lot older than people people typically think about mm-hmm. people living to back in that time period yeah and uh, the skull was large and thick with big squares eye sockets low cheekbones large teeth and a wide palate mm-hmm. and in the article, they mentioned that possibly this could be related to the Israeli fossils. Oh, really? Yeah. And it, at least in species type. Hmm. And they were saying, what's going on here? Did the, did a big group, you know, come from this area and expand out and then turn into Neanderthals? Like maybe they, they thought Neanderthals kind of hmm. originated in Europe, but maybe they didn't. And then, you know then some became Neanderthals in Europe and different species in other areas, which would make sense. It's a big area. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of independent divergent evolution going on. I'm sure of it. So God, it just seems like we need more puzzle pieces though. Like again, back to that same analogy, but like, yeah, it's just hard to draw conclusions without more. And that's part of the thing too, here is they, the, this other researcher that was contacted just to comment on this, Said that naming a new species that was removed from its original context has one specimen and no associated artifacts is kind of a problem. Yeah. Yeah. So we need more data. Now, I think, I think personally that it's okay to not write this down and build your career on it, but make a hypothesis based on this Mm -hmm. and say, you know what? Our hypothesis is this fossil in China and these fossils in Israel are the same species. 
let's go find more data. Yeah. So let's take some other collections that maybe haven't been analyzed or they're unclassified and go through those and say, do these share traits or characteristics with these fossils that we found here? Mm-hmm. What do those date to? And let's start building that puzzle. Yeah. Because the pieces are scattered all over the all over the world. Yeah. So I, I have to imagine that this is really, really difficult to do because yeah. Because of the inherent differences between between the sexes, between yeah. geographically different populations. Like I'm looking at you and me right now and like our skulls will present very differently if you're just looking at our skulls. Yes. So like imagine trying to group different hominin skulls together into populations like I know it's just you're so hard you're more Neanderthal like and oh, I am definitely look at that brow I am more <laughs> advanced and hairless so I don't know it's kind of weird I thought the Neanderthals were pretty hairy actually <sighs> they were and I'm not so there you go oh so you're not a Neanderthal yeah, you're way I see than I am. uh-huh yeah okay well I'm All Italian right. leave me alone Italianthal <laughs> <laughs> anyway um no all right, so that's it for that. We'll wait for more information because I'm sure, as this has come out, that other people are going to be looking through their collections and saying, hey, ours looks kind of the same as yours does. Let's get them together. And, you know, the nice thing about all this stuff is you could see these bones as kind of a time capsule of human history, if you will. Speaking of time capsules, oh my God. let's move over to the eastern United States. See, when you set up a transition, <laughs> you should let me pick it up. <laughs> You're not supposed to make your own transition. Don't ruin my segue. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> we're going to talk about time capsules next. Back in a minute. Chris Webster here for the Archaeology Podcast Network. We strive for high quality interviews and content so you can find information on any topic in archaeology from around the world. One way we do that is by recording interviews with our hosts and guests located in many parts of the world all at once. We do that through the use of Zencaster. That's Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R. Zencaster allows us to record high quality audio with no stress on the guest. Just send them a link to click on and that's it. Zencaster does the rest. They even do automatic transcriptions. Check out the link in the show notes for 30 off your first three months or go to zencastr.com and use the code TAS. Hey, podcast fans, I've got to talk to you about drinking water. As an archaeologist, I've been on surveys where we had to drink three to five liters of water every day. That's 1.3 gallons just to basically not die. Sometimes that water just doesn't hydrate you as quickly as you're using it. That's why we've partnered with Liquid IV. The small packets make it easy to take one with you to work, to work out, or on any adventure. I like the strawberry lemonade and lemon lime ones the best. Just put one stick of liquid IV into 16 ounces of water and get hydrated two times faster than with just water alone. And now with our partnership, you can get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use the code TAS at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration Today using promo code TAS at liquidiv.com. Welcome back to episode 129 of the Archaeology Show. And as mentioned, we're going to talk about a time capsule that was found in found and opened in South Carolina. Now, kind of the cool thing about this is they knew it was there. Yeah. It's not like they happened upon this time capsule. Yeah, like they knew it was there and they went looking for it. Yeah. And that's kind of a cool thing, too, is, well, first off, it's the John C. Calhoun Monument in Marion Square in Charleston, South Carolina. Now, a little bit about the stellar individual named John C. Calhoun. Oh. <laughs> he was now we got it. I mean, in context, everything has to be taken in context, I guess. So 
But he considered slavery a, quote, positive good and was controversial. You don't say. He served in the state legislature for South Carolina, then the federal government as a representative in Congress, a senator, secretary of war, vice president, and secretary of state. So this guy had his hands in a lot of little pies. And this article states that his advocacy of states' rights basically set the stage for the Civil War. So super awesome, dude. Yeah, yeah, definitely should leave monuments <laughs> to him up. Not. Yes, yes. <laughs> so he died in 1850, and not long after that, a, well, I guess it was probably five or like seven or eight years after that, they put up a monument to him in Charleston, South Carolina, and a newspaper article from 1858 indicated where the time capsule would be, but an article from a year later indicated that it was actually it was actually placed in a different location. Like mm-hmm. the one in the first article said, here's what it's going to be. And the next article said, well, here's where they actually put it. Right. And so there was, I'm not really going to get into the history of this monument, but it was moved at some point. Like the time capsule was moved. They knew it was there pretty well known. They moved it to a different part. And then because of all these little transitions, it took a while to find the monument because they're, they're actually taking this monument down mm-hmm. and moving it possibly to Columbia. Yeah, it sounds like they don't quite know what to do with it right now because it's a statue to a a racist (laughs) and somebody who forwarded racist policies and helped contribute to causing the Civil War. So they they don't quite know what to do with it, I think. So and this is one year after it was removed and there was a lot of statues getting removed this time last year in the wake of George Floyd and a number of other civil rights infringements that were happening. As well, they should be like, I totally agree with that. But then it's also like, well, do you destroy the statue once you take it down? Yeah. Like, what do you what do you do with it? Do you keep it as like a piece of albeit terrible history that I mean, I think it should go in the museum museum because and I'm not just paraphrasing Indiana Jones here because (laughs) we were in the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City just like a month and a half ago, a couple Mm -hmm. months ago. And there's a lot of stuff in there dating back centuries that probably represented some pretty terrible things. I mean, that's true. Remember the Japanese statue exhibit? There were people in there that were like warlords and stuff like that. I mean, these are just... These these are now examples that help a remind us of our past, so we don't repeat those mistakes. Mm-hmm. And b, well, they're also examples of craftsmanship of the time. You know, so the the artist who put that statue together shouldn't be, I guess, penalized for having created something. You know, with their art, just because that thing is now racist. I only agree to an extent, like. If it were a shining example of statuary from the time and it just happens to be of a really, really shitty person, like, (laughs) (laughs) all right, fine. I guess we can like, you know, scroll that away in some museum somewhere and maybe in a hundred years or 200 years or at some point when the, the hurt is not so great still then it can come back out. Like if Picasso had painted Hitler, <laughs> would we want that? Yeah, I'm not sure the hurt will ever be enough. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, so it just, it just depends yeah. on who it is and what they did and how, how bad it was and how forgiving the society you live in right. is and the people. So there's a lot of things to consider there, Yeah, but that's kind of getting off into a totally different a little topic. Bit. Yeah. Back to the time capsule. <laughs> Back to the time capsule. <laughs> let's, so let's look at the fun part of this. And, I know. Yeah. So this is a huge monument. It had a cornerstone and that's where everything was found. And once they found the cornerstone inside was a rusted cannonball uh, and it was, 
Like I, we have a historical record. Like the newspaper article said exactly what was in here, so yeah. we knew what to expect. Yep. For the most part, but um, it was found near Fort Moultrie. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. And almost certainly shot by the British during the 1776 Battle of Sullivan's Island, hmm. which is interesting. I don't know if it was found later and just passed down to people and like maybe it was Calhoun's favorite thing or something. I don't know, but well, I think with time capsules, people sometimes take the opportunity to just like put significant things in there. So maybe like Charleston, the city owned it for whatever reason and decided to include it. Who knows? But it was already, you know, 90 years old. This Yeah. Yeah. So also a long tin canister containing rolled up fabric. And it was likely a banner raised by sailors during Calhoun's funeral in 1850. A small tin cylinder containing reportedly a lock of Calhoun's thick silvery hair, <laughs> which is gross. Okay. Yeah. Although very prescient. Maybe thought they could clone him. I don't know. So, and then a rectangular lead box. So all of these were housed at Brockington and Associates, which is a CRM firm in Charleston. So that's a pretty cool, uh, pretty cool find and job for a CRM firm to have. And yeah. it, it's more than likely because they probably had the only and best lab in the area probably. in the city to be able to do that. Brockington's a pretty well-known and big CRM firm in the Southeast. They do a lot of good work down there. So the compartment, there was evidence when they opened it that the compartment was once partially filled with water and the cannonball and the containers were incredibly rusted. They were able to shine up the cannonball a little bit and knocking off all the rust but uh, mm-hmm. the containers were super rusted. The banner and the hair, the banner, the tin can that contained the banner, they said that the banner and the can had basically like fused together and yeah. it's unlikely like, they'll like ever... Like from rust, right? Yeah, from the rust. Yeah, yeah. And it's unlikely they'll ever get that banner unrolled. Yeah. And the hair was pretty much gone. Yeah. So the lead box, however, was well sealed and didn't look like water had gotten in. Yeah. Like it was basically just completely you sealed You know, that totally makes sense. Just slight tangent here because I worked on a cemetery in New Jersey mm-hmm. and we uncovered some lead coffins oh, yeah. that like look we didn't open them in the field. They yeah. were fully sealed and like unclear what they might have found when they opened it. It could have yeah. been a very well preserved body inside of there. So yes, lead lead boxes can seal and protect things very, very well. Well it's like an early form of welding. Yeah. Yeah. yeah because basically. it's very strong. It's incredibly heavy, but mm-hmm. it's very strong and all you had to do was I mean, you could put a lead bead on it, which they could do pretty easily, but mm-hmm. probably you could just heat it up and melt it together. Yeah. I don't really know. Yeah. So anyway, it took them three days to carefully remove the lid off this lead box, which is just painstaking. And it, they also, I, I didn't write this down in our notes, but they also like opened it with other people in the room, which I got to say, if you're sitting in that lab and that <laughs> lid's about to pry free, I'm like, mm. like don't want to break that. <laughs> but uh, inside, and this would be a super cool find for an archaeologist, was a pristine glass jar perfectly sealed and filled with scrolls of paper in excellent condition. So cool. I couldn't mm-hmm. imagine even finding something like that. Yeah. The jar was protected with newspapers, so they, they clearly thought it might be jostled or mm-hmm. I don't know what, but they put newspapers in around it. And the in the, in the bottom was a, always advertising, was a <laughs> business card of J.F. Church, a plumber. And they said maybe, you know, being a plumber, working with a lot of lead pipes back in the day, yeah. possibly he's the one that made the box. Made the box. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he's like, yeah, I'll make your box. But uh, just in case. Here's this my is, card. Just in case I'm still around. <laughs> I'm going to put this down there. Love so. it. 
Anyway, they haven't opened the jar yet. I don't know what they're waiting on, but historical reports say it contains, and, and again, this is pretty well documented, it contains a copy of Calhoun's last Senate speech, some continental money. They can see the money through the jar. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, a list of all U.S. and South Carolina governments, which is weird, and a list of members of the Calhoun Monument Ladies Association. Mm-hmm. There's always a ladies association. Ladies getting stuff done. Yeah. It's what we do. I know. Or what they did back in the day. Right. Because they couldn't have jobs. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so there's apparently a lot more stuff in the in the jar. There's a lot of scrolls in there that weren't listed in the article. The article just listed some of the more, I don't know, well-known things that the article thought to mention mm-hmm. back in the day. And uh, when they open the jar, they'll probably find out. Yeah. So. And the jar itself is actually really interesting, too, because it's a you know hand-blown jar. And it yeah. appears to be like super high quality hand blown mm-hmm. glass so that's that's really neat and it's it's sealed too the jar itself is that's why they can't get into it is because it's sealed with plaster of paris which survived which just speaks to how well the preservation of this lead yeah. box was very neat so don't i mean we're linking to the article from live science but for some reason there's no pictures which is yeah, unfortunate i know i really want to see what this yeah. jar looks like you know i love historic glass so i know it'd be pretty cool like what, so is it clear it must be clear so go there for some more detail but don't go there expecting to see pictures sorry yeah. about that <laughs> all right well we are going to move from there back over to my ancestral homelands Finland, <laughs> at least on one side of my family, uh-huh. and we're going to talk about ritual. <laughs> Yay, ritual! <laughs> you may have heard my pitch for membership. It's a great idea and really helps out. However, you can also support us by picking up a fun t-shirt, sticker, or something from a large selection of items from our T Public store. Head over to arcpodnet.com slash shop for a link. That's arcpodnet.com slash shop to pick up some fun swag and support the show. Welcome back to episode 129 of the Archaeology Show, and we're going to talk about ritual. Yes, more more ritual than you can shake a stick at. Rachel can hardly sh- contain herself right now. A stick. Oh, yeah. All right. I made that joke in the break there, and I had to bring it into the episode, and now yes. my husband is looking at me like I'm a crazy person. So, all right, here we yeah. go. Well, <laughs> I'm going to start finding more articles about Finland uh, or things that are found in Finland because I've really wanted to go there for a long time. I've been in Norway, spent a couple days there, actually mm-hmm. over the summer solstice in 2005, I think. Mm-hmm. Four, no, 2004. And it was just such a super cool place. Now, Finland is not Norway, but it's, you know, not not very far away. Mm-hmm. And I, my grandmother's maiden name is actually Finnish. And uh, she was born in the United States, but her parents were born in Norway, or were born in Finland. Mm-hmm. And so I, so my Finnish ancestry doesn't really go back that far to where it's like straight up in Finland. Mm-hmm. And I've, not that I'm, I don't really care too much about ancestry. It's like family stuff was never really that big to my family. But it's At fun least in though. my immediate family. But that being said, I think Finland is a super cool place. I want to go there. I'm trying to get Rachel to go in like January because nope. I love winter. You know, we're going to snowshoe on some like wooden snowshoes and come back and have hot cocoa. Man. So. So not going to happen. I know. There you go. (laughs) So anyway, this article is again from Live Science. They got some good stuff lately. And it's a four. What was found was a 4,400 year old stick carved like a snake discovered in a lake in southwest Finland. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. You got to go look at the article because they've got a picture of it in there and it's it's very obviously a snake. It's really yeah. cool looking. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. 
And the report said it may have been used for, right at the top of the article, it may have been used for mystical purposes by a shaman. And, of course. You know, I said, I said that in, in my notes here, I, I shouted ritual to myself and said, should we start a drinking game? Oh my God. Every oh. time an article is about ritual, totally. <laughs> Because over at the Archaeotech podcast, every time we say drone, yeah, it's a drinking game. Yeah, you, you gotta you gotta take a drink. Okay, so <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think this might be the same situation for us because it does feel like we talk about ritual like I know. probably way more than we should. Because like, yeah, I think there's a lot more. We assume there's a lot more ritual going on with things that we don't understand. And and don't think you got to take a drink of alcohol. I'm gonna take a sip of my coffee right now because <laughs> we said ritual 16 times. Perfect. Do it. Okay, so the stick is about 21 inches long, about an inch thick, carved from a single piece of wood. Uh, no word on what kind of wood it was, which I thought would have been interesting. But They're going to do testing, I think, to find out, because okay. that, that will be you know something that can help them narrow down like at least where it yeah, came is from. Is it local? Yeah, I mean, yeah, who knows, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the researchers that originally wrote this thought it resembled a grass snake or a European adder in the act of slithering or swimming away because it's kind of got a little bit of a slither to it. Mm-hmm. Not really. A, it's still like long like a stick would be. So it's more long than it is, I guess, a serpentine. Yeah. But, uh, but it's got a wave, like a wave a to it. Bit. Yeah. Yeah. Just a little bit. And another researcher, actually, that's at, uh, I think she's over in a university in Norway, said that she thinks it looks more like a viper, which she's probably saying that because she studies and is interested in much later in that area, historical folk religion and magic, and vipers apparently play an important role mm-hmm. in that in that history. Now, this is much, much later than now, but maybe this is where the roots started. I yeah. don't know. Sounds like reaching to me. Yeah. Like, if you look at this, like, it looks like a snake, but I don't understand how anybody thinks that they could assign a species to it yeah. <laughs> based on... Well, the head. It, I mean, kind of. are very diagnostic. They are, but this is a piece of wood that has been preserved underground. Yeah. It's, like, worn down. It's very smooth around the edges. Like, you don't... You just... It looks to me like assigning a species to it would be reaching a little bit and somebody wanting it to be right. something more than having evidence for it. That could be our bias, though, because if I was asked to carve a snake out of wood, assuming I had any carving ability whatsoever, <laughs> like I would, I don't even know what I would do with the head. It would probably be a straight head. Like, I'm not sure what is in my brain as a snake head. Yeah. But if this was carved by somebody who either was a shaman or... You know, some sort of ritualistic person or somebody that just lived there, they would have been very aware of the snakes in their area Mm -hmm. and they would have a very clear picture of which snakes are good, which snakes are bad. And you can tell because snake bodies, aside from the patterning on the body, which can give you an indication of its dangerous nature Mm -hmm. is one thing. But also the head, like I said, is very Yeah, like the diamond shape can usually mean something that is venomous. Yeah. Yeah. The straight headed ones are more... I think less venomous typically. Yeah. But not all the time. Not all the time. Not yeah, all the time. There's definitely yeah. what like the 10 deadliest snakes are in Australia. And I think most of them are like thin, narrow heads. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. The thing that would be interesting to me to know about, and they did touch on this briefly is whether it's, it was just decorative and it, or maybe just mm-hmm. a grave good, you know, but it wasn't meant to be actually used versus was it, was it actually used? Because you, you have to think about something that is used by a person. There's gotta be some function going on there too. And the, the snake head could have ended up a little bit more diamond shaped because it gave something for a person to hold on to if they're using it as an actual staff or a cane. Yeah. It says they say staff, but you can see where the end of it tapers off at the tail. 
And I'm like, so was that fixed into something else? Because a 21 inch long staff is for a pretty short little person. Was yeah. this was this Homo Floresiensis <laughs> uh, visiting Finland for the winter? Well, hold on, hold on though, because like I'm five foot three, right? So like how? That's less than two feet. Yeah, it's below your. I waist. would need a little bit, a little bit more. You need a lot more. Well, yeah, okay, be a little yeah. bit short. But people back then could have been a lot shorter than they are now. So. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> I think it, it, if it were part of a staff, it would had to have been fixed into something else, or it was originally longer. Yeah. Yeah. And we just, and it's just broken. Yeah. Yeah. The head part definitely doesn't look like it's broken. It looks like that no. was how it, so the bottom might've had an extra I mean, piece on it or something. Holding on to a snake head as a staff. That's actually pretty cool. That's pretty badass, yeah. right? Yeah, like, that's pretty neat. That's cool. Anyway. So anyway, I'm, we make fun of ritual, but it does seem because of the, what we know, the religions of the area, it does seem pretty clearly religious. Mm-hmm. According to the article here, snakes, and I'm going to read directly from it. Snakes are loaded with symbolic meaning in both Finno-Ugric, and that's a language family, and Sami, or Sami, I think it's Sami cosmology, and the Sami people are actually in northern Finland right Mm. now. And shamans are believed to be able to transform into snakes. Hmm. So maybe this just is a shaman. When it dries out, he'll be like, hey, guys. (laughs) What's up, guys? Put me back in the lake. (laughs) Okay, here's an off-the-wall theory. Is there any possibility that it's like a toy? Or something decorative, but not meant to be used in any way? I think we discount the creation of toys and things to keep children occupied a right? lot in the archaeological record. Yeah, totally. We immediately go to ritual for a 21-inch long staff. Yeah. And we're like, oh, it must have been a staff or something related to a shaman. Or it's just a child's toy. Yeah. And they got, to, they got they were idiots and threw it in the lake. It, it wouldn't be a lot of fun, probably, to play with a piece of glorified wood couldn't you see couldn't you see a finished dad in like august going to their kid and their kid keeps whacking dad in the shins with this with this wooden snake that he made him and dad's trying to gather he's -hmm. hunting and he's He's gathering gathering. he is currently gathering the kids is like dad 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 and hit him with this snake stick And he just grabs it and chucked it in the lake and goes, winter is coming. We need to hunt and we need to gather. So that's what I think happened. You know, I can't think of a better a better <laughs> hypothesis. I think we go with that one. That's exactly that's uh, exactly it. Yes. Anyway, I thought um, the Sami was interesting. I didn't know who those people were. They live in northern Scandinavia and Russia, and the uh, the Finno-Ugric languages are spoken in Scandinavia and Eastern Europe, as we just mentioned. So, anyway. All of this dates to well before the Finnish people began keeping written records, so we don't really know a whole lot about what was going on back then. Mm-hmm. And it's mentioned in the article it could have been an, uh, an offering tossed into the lake for religious reasons, whatever. Oh, I like uh, your reason a lot better. I know. I think it's a little more plausible, to be honest. <laughs> so, Kids were annoying 4,000 years ago, just like they can be annoying today. Maybe the lady of the lake, cast in shimmering oh Samite, <laughs> held aloft the snake uh-huh. for the next king of, king of Finland. <laughs> We've got the country all wrong this whole time. I I will send you something if you can tell me what movie that's from. I don't know what that is, but I should, probably shouldn't commit. But anyway. Oh, my God. The cool thing about this is is that they learned something about the area that somehow they didn't know before. Maybe the article's just saying it. Now, I imagine archaeologists know this, but the soil is very acidic up there. And if this were buried, it wouldn't be around anymore. It would have mm-hmm. probably long since decomposed. Right. And this was found... It, in what 
from what I understand, actually used to be a lake. Obviously, they're not excavating the bottom of a lake. You can mm-hmm. do that, but they're not doing that. It's in a wetland. Right. So this used to be a lake. It's now a very, very wet, muddy environment, and they're excavating it, presumably for some sort of development, because I'm not sure why else they would be doing it. Mm-hmm. But they said that this is evidence just further evidence that you can't just chunk out some wetlands. You got to, yeah. you got to look in them because they preserve stuff. Yeah, exactly. So, and you don't know where the, the water levels were a thousand years ago, 5,000 years ago. You don't know. You yeah. just don't know what you might find. So anyway, that's what we've got this week. And, uh, I, I want to say we have a new producer, uh, Kimmy, on yeah. board. So she's going to be bringing us some more articles and possibly getting us some interviews set up. And uh, if you're interested in having an interview with the Archaeology Podcast Network, if you're a researcher out there and you're doing something right now, head over to arcpodnet.com forward slash archaeology. And there's a schedule and interview link on the right hand side. Now, the time frames for this is not very favorable to Europeans or anybody else. Yeah. Like, East of England. <laughs> yeah. So just send us an email though. If like you go to schedule and you're like, oh, that's not going to work. That's yeah. three in the morning. Just send us an email and we can work something out because, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I've we'll, got we'll another, make it work. I've got another calendar link I can send you that basically opens up pretty much any time morning, you know, for the US, which would be nice evening time for European and beyond. So yeah, we'd love to speak with some of you guys that are doing yeah. like really cool research out there though. I mean, even if you don't think it's cool, like, the world will think it's cool because yeah. people love archaeology. Yeah, exactly. You might be deep in it and think nobody wants to hear about this, but literally <laughs> everybody does. Trust me, so, they do. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, and we will see you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to The Archaeology Show. Feel free to comment and view the show notes on the website at www.archpodnet.com. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ArcPodNet. You can also find us on the Lyceum app, a podcast app just for educational podcasts. Music for this show is called I Wish You Would Look from the band Sea Hero. Again, thanks for listening and have an awesome day. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV Traveling America, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Thanks again for listening to this episode and for supporting the Archaeology Podcast Network. If you want these shows to keep going, consider becoming a member for just $7.99 US a month. That's cheaper than a venti quad eggnog latte. Go to archpodnet.com slash members for more info. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Pro.